0: Okay, so I'm diving right into this. Uh, Brad Fenson. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, Thanks good to see you, us, Dan. Buddy, nice to see you. It's been many, many, many camps, many times together, many years working together. Uh, Brad, you know, when you and I get together, we are such on great synergies together on <laughs> the same level, and we've experienced a lot of the same things. Um, the topic, I guess, I love talking about with you the most is not just venison processing, but game, game processing in general, because we both we both do it, we both live it, we love it. It's a passion. It is. And well, yeah. for you, I think it's even more of a passion than <laughs> it is for me. And I, I hate to humble myself like that because I thought I was up there, but you, you blow me away. It completes
1: my hunt. It's funny. It, uh, It's a special feeling when I harvest a deer, whether it's a doe or a big buck or whatever, taking care of it, fully utilizing it, and closing the freezer lid is where I close my hunt. And it, it does create great satisfaction.
0: It's for me, it's the same thing, but like my dad rest his soul, as you know, he passed away this yeah. year. But um, every Sunday when I was a kid, we made firewood. And my dad, he, you know, his motto was like, that's money in the bank. You yeah. know? <laughs> and for me, that's the same feeling. Right. I mean, now it's this, the feeling is the satisfaction that I'm providing the food, healthy food. Um, I'm not, you know, I raise chickens and I do other things, but that satisfaction there, but also for me, it's like, But the prices of meat in the grocery store these days, it's insane.
1: I don't buy it, but I look at the prices and I go, ooh, you know, thank God that we have an opportunity to hunt and do this for ourselves.
0: And for you, what is that, you know, moose steak worth, you know, (laughs) I mean, or elk, or you get to do some of the cool stuff.
1: Yeah, we're spoiled where I live. I get lots of opportunity.
0: But for me, I'm just looking at the ground meat, uh, the ground venison, and it's like straight, lean ground meat. Okay, so let's let's go past that. So what I want to do is I do hear from a lot of Deer Talk Now listeners um, on a regular basis where they say, and, and they might be younger guys or gals, or they might be people, the on, adult onset hunters. They're like, yeah, I would love to do that, but I don't know where to start. And I know you're the perfect person to ask that question. So if somebody is first getting into this, they're either they're first getting into hunting or they might have, had their deer processed by someone else all these years, they want to start processing it themselves. What are the essentials that somebody ha- should have that's going to make it a little bit easier for them?
1: The essential is a good knife, a good bony knife, and the second essential is a good sharpener to keep that knife sharp. It might sound foolish, but those are your... N- two number one two things that are critical to your success your safety and for proper cuts nobody and I say that because nobody wants a steak that's half an inch thick on one side and two inches thick on the other it's not going to cook right you're not going to enjoy it so the quality of your cuts need to be like the butcher shop and to do that you need a uh, sharp knife it allows you to take all of the proteins off the bone cleanly and uh when i'm working i'd probably stop every two minutes and just sharpen my knife i've seen
0: you doing we, we we've processed many deer together yeah. and i've seen you do that with uh with a stone or you know, even a, a steel a steel yeah um so and i know that you and i both have used different knives over the years just give some examples i'm gonna i'm gonna add my own if you don't add them but uh, give some examples of what kind of knife you don't don't uh, be shy about mentioning brands either. Yeah, I mean, um,
1: Outdoor Edge has a kit where they have everything you need from a, a small saw to a boning knife to a skinny knife, a rib spreader, and a pull sharpener. So you can take that out, that's all you need to get going. You can debone your deer, you can break it down, you can take the legs off at the joints so it's easier to work with. And if you don't know how, find a video online. There's lots of Find that. his videos online. Yeah, the there's kit. videos online and, uh, you know, it, there's great tutorials to get you started.
0: So I agree with you on that. Uh, the Outdoor Edge Knives, if you guys aren't familiar with those, there's different brands too, but those are the ones that basically have razor blades that you replace. And so you never have to worry about sharpening those. Um, that's done for you. Excuse me here. <coughs> um, sorry, they, they didn't bring one for Brad. It's sorry. I, We can't share because <laughs> I just had COVID. Um, the other one, and I don't know if you turned me on to this, or it might have been a, a buddy of mine who's a butcher, uh, Dan, if you're listening. Uh, it, it's a... It's a cheap knife. It's a, a Victorinox, yep. and its a, I think it's about a $10 knife online. And um, did you tell me about those? I, I have several, yeah, because they're easy to sharpen. thats that, And I think Dan told me about it, but maybe I told you and you said, yeah, you use the same one. Yeah.
1: So quality <clears> of steel <throat> makes a big difference. The harder the steel, the sharper the knife, the longer it'll stay sharp. But, man, they're hard to sharpen. It's hard to get that edge back. You need to know what you're doing <clears> with the right angle, the precision, and you need to work to keep it sharp. Whereas, if you don't know enough about it, you're getting started, you're cutting into the bone a lot, you dull a knife, you want one that you can sharpen easy. Right. And that makes a huge difference.
0: Have you used, um, I think it's called the Warthog No, I system. haven't seen that. It's, uh, so, if you're not skilled with a stone or a steel, Brad's really good at it. But um, And the biggest thing, though, too, there is a skill to it, yep. but it is that... The one thing I learned from working at Blade Magazine, it's all about the steel. If that edge gets rounded, it's almost impossible to bring it back.
1: Well, you need to create a new edge. You need to take Mm. it to a a grinding-type sharpener or something that's going to actually pull that steel off to create a new edge where you've rounded it off.
0: Okay, so you need a sharp knife. Yes. Okay. Um, And now you've watched enough videos. You kind of got the feel for it. It's going to take time. You have to process deer to figure it out. Yep what are some of the other things that you would recommend um, is there anything special do i need a vac sealer do i need a you know any special equipment or is it yeah it would be nice to have this that or the other thing you know what
1: it's not magic it's simple and the best thing i can tell you is instead of needing equipment you need to just keep thinking sterile safe food quality feeding my family the best thing possible. So whether you have a big old plastic Tupperware bowl that your grandma had to put your grind meat in to keep it safe, or you take a cooler and you wash it out with a cap of bleach and rinse it and, and get it really clean, you want some type of vessel to, to to put your meat in. When I'm working on a table, I'll actually take wax butcher's paper and pull it out and tape it to the table to lay the meat cuts down. Again, it's sterile. If something happens to it, I rip it off and replace it. It's quick, it's easy it's inexpensive. If you're going to do venison, uh, the waxed meat paper works wonderful. You know, if you're going to try to keep meat for up to a year, you'll have no problem. You know from hunting with me that I use resinite or plastic wrap first, and I pull the packages tight and push all of the air out, and then I wrap it in the wax paper. By double wrapping it, you actually prevent freezer burn for two to three years. So, We've all done it. We dig to the bottom of the freezer and you're like, oh, I got a big piece of loin from yep. that dough I <clears> shot two years ago. How did I miss that? You pull it out of the freezer. There's no burn. There's no mistaste. Like, it's, it's not an off taste. It's
0: like fresh venison. And that is 100% true. <laughs> and that, I'm going to agree with Brad because I've done it myself. I've used all the equipment. And I know people think that that's a shortcut. It can be. But you don't, you don't need it. You don't have to have it. No. Uh, the biggest thing I've learned from you, and you've me, shown me that technique, is how when you wrap that meat, look up those videos, how to wrap meat. And Brad, when he's doing it, he is just pushing that air out, pushing that, because right. air is going to cause freezer burn. Is freezer burn going to ruin the meat? No. It's just going to reduce the quality of the yeah. meat. It's not going to ruin it. You can still eat it. It's not going to taste as good. Yeah.
1: it It can ruin it if you leave it long enough. Well, yeah. But when you're using the wax paper, even like you said, I start in the corner and I fold everything over and push the air, roll it, push the air right down to that last corner that comes to a point. I fold it back over so that air can't come into the fold and tape it in so that it's completely airtight from the plastic wrap inside and from the waxed paper on the outside.
0: So you don't worry about plastic at all. the the plastic wrap. Some people say, oh, that's got things in it that can affect your mediator. I use
1: Resonite. If you go to most of your supermarkets and buy a T-bone steak, it's going to be in a styrofoam package with a blotter because everything has uh, myoglobin that runs out of it. People call it blood, but it's not. Yeah, it's red, but it's not blood. It's myoglobin. Uh, And we can get to that about food quality in in a minute. But, uh, you know, when we wrap our stuff, we usually have, I use the plastic wrap, then the meat wrap, and you often get myoglobin inside. But the stores all use the same type of resonite and plastic wrap that is food quality safe. You can actually put it in the microwave and do other things. If you go eat in a restaurant, you've got foods that have had that resonite
0: or plastic right. wrap on And this it. just goes to the discussion I had last podcast was about there's a lot worse things than other foods that we eat <laughs> than venison. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Full Range Mounting Systems. These mounting systems are a great way to manage all of your mounts in a stylish and organized manner. We are using their pedestal mount here on the podcast set for two shoulder mounts, and it looks just awesome. Be sure to check out their mounting systems at fullrangesystems.com, and for 15% off your order, use code DTN. Let's talk about one thing, a trend. I follow all the venison processing pages, I think, yeah. on Facebook. Um, I don't know if this is a southern thing, but I've noticed it a lot lately. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just something I haven't seen before of guys soaking their venison in water, um, either to cool it down or before they process it. Uh, have you seen that, and what are your thoughts on it?
1: I've only seen it in the south when you're harvesting deer and the weather extremely warm. And that way you can super cool the meat. It does change the, the color of it. Because you're removing all that myoglobin, it actually dissipates out into the water, and you put a nice red, purplish deer leg into a cooler with ice water. Go back in the evening to pull it out to process it, and it is light colored like a like a pork chop.
0: It's it, gray almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, it takes all of that myoglobin out and takes the color out of it. If you, I, I prefer to make sure they're dry, so I pat pat it dry. You know, hang it, pat it dry, make sure it's dry before I actually start to wrap it and stuff to get some of that moisture off it. But I
0: think that would affect the flavor, or or, or not, or
1: yeah, it certainly can. But uh, I mean, the only times that I've been involved in doing that is where it was so hot you knew that the meat was going to get ruined, so you put it in water. So I'm guessing that some people have used that technique. Their family liked their venison, so they're like, hey, and, and you go with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to soak my meat because. My family liked it when
0: I did it that way. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've done things. One of the things that I've done has been similar and something my dad taught me was during warm weather. But our warm is not their warm. Right. Our warm is 50 or 60 degrees. Um, We always took, if you had to hang it overnight, uh, the big bags of ice and just lay it like a blanket right over the hams and the. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the underparts, yep. and or, and maybe take an entire bag of ice and stuff inside the chest cavity. We'd hang them uh, feet first yep. and to cool it off. And then after, uh, well, the next morning, you take that ice off, and it was great. Um, yeah. So it, it there might be something to that, but I tell you what, I defy anyone to t- tell the difference in the venison because it was still great venison.
1: Yeah, and there's lots of different ways to deal with your venison in hot weather. You know, put it in a cooler... Uh, Some people rush it to a a processor and get it in a big walk-in cooler. When I was in Oklahoma one time, we shot a deer, and they had a great way of dealing with it. The bugs were terrible during the day. So we'd shoot a deer. It was going to go to 85 above during the afternoon. They'd leave the hide on it. So I said, like, why are we doing that? We're going to have problems with that meat. He said, watch. Takes a 20-pound bag of ice out. The incision in the cavity was very small. They insert it inside. They wrap it in a tarp. We didn't touch it until after sunset when the bugs are gone, it cool down. Took it out when we skinned it. I was actually impressed with the way that the bones transmitted that cold. The hide was cold, the meat was wow. cold, and it just radiated from the center out, and it was great quality.
0: That's a great uh, tip.
1: So, I mean, there, there's ways of dealing with things other than using water. If water works for you, your family likes it, great. But uh, bones are a great conductor of heat and cold, and to use the bo- the, the deer's natural body and skeleton as a cooling agent with ice, worked
0: awesome. That's a, that's a great tip, something I never thought of. And uh, I think we talked about this, but it's something you guys, I, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing, but I learned it up in, um, at Anacosti, and this would have been in 95. Um, hot, no electricity, no refrigeration, but they had a skinning house that was uh, screened, Yep. so no bugs in there. And we shot deer, and it was above 60, and I was just freaking out. And the guy's like, no, there's no problem. So we hung them there, no bugs. Airflow. They, they, Airflow <laughs> and a cheesecloth around yeah. around the... Yeah. And it kind of did get a little bit of skin on it. But the, the guy told me, he said, don't worry about it. And it was some of the best venison I've ever had.
1: You know, it's funny you say that because I've done some fly-in moose hunts in the Yukon and caribou hunts. And you get weather that you can't control. You're in there. There's nothing you can do except try your best to deal with the meat. So we've been on trips where we shot caribou and moose, boned them out, put them in game bags. What we did is we went down to the edge of the river or the lake, took out some big rocks, set them down, got the game bags on those. Then we built a wooden teepee over it basically and put a tarp. The airflow, airflow. came in underneath it. The cool from the rocks was there. Uh, at night they would cool down, the sun never got on it. It was like it was aged in a cooler. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it worked awesome.
0: Okay, let's, uh, let's uh, finish up our venison chat because I want to get to some more stuff with you. Um, you have two young girls. Yep, They're both in kindergarten. They're the cutest girls on <laughs> the planet. And you've got them already indoctrinated into this whole lifestyle, which I think is awesome. Um, okay, so I'm a guy. I'm a Deer Talk Now listener or watcher. And I want to do the same thing. I'm aspiring to be Brad Fenson. And I've got two little kids. And I'm a, a fanatical whitetail hunter. And I, what, what, in your estimation, now I know you do everything—you duck hunt, you fi- you fish, you do all this other thing. You want to provide the lion's share of your family protein with venison. How many deer would that take?
1: Uh, it depends on the size of the kids and your family, but uh, a minimum of five. Five. <laughs> I mean, we're spoiled because, I mean, we usually put a moose and an elk in the freezer every year, plus then you, deer. Then, you've,
0: then you're, that's like gravy. I mean, yeah. like a deer on top of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we're spoiled, but, uh, I mean, we we enjoy and appreciate deer, and it's always a special meal. So I could not imagine going a year without having my deer put away for special projects, special meals, certain guests. Like, if you ever came, I'd do a, a whitetail loin on the smoker I'm doing or it
0: because you're going to take me salmon fishing. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it also depends on your eating habits. We don't eat any purchased proteins. So we eat wild every day of the year. We make our own sandwich
0: meats. We make our own sausages. Uh, we do everything you're out like of wild You're like the happy game. butcher up there because you're like, you're smoking sausages, you're cutting steaks, you're, you're catching fish, ducks, geese. Yeah. Um, you told me about your teriyaki goose legs, which I've got, I actually <laughs> got to try them that one time in camp. but. Uh, all sorts of cool stuff like that. So, a guy can do it. I mean, it's not like we want to sit there and just abuse the resource, but if you have the opportunity, that's a, that's a way, that, yeah. that is a, a very sustainable lifestyle.
1: Yeah, and get your kids involved. Like, when I, since my girls were young, I got them out there, and you know, they're five years old and they can actually breast out a duck and not cut their fingers. And we started them off in the kitchen with some polymer knives that you can get on Amazon. You can run it in your hand it won't cut you but you can chop peppers and onions and cut up mushrooms and stuff for a pizza night where everyone makes their own pizza and it teaches them the skills they need to get started. So they now come in the shop and help at 5 years old and, 5 years old. You know they they want to do it because dad lets them and because it's important. And then they help wrap things afterwards, and they put their own special Those marks, smiley you know. faces, yeah. And you can start that off by doing things like, you know, we, smiling faces, but we'll draw an eye and a circle, like eye of round uh, venison.
0: Oh, oh, that's good. And yeah. then
1: they get into it. They start doing their own things. And then when you take it out, you're like, hey, look at this. This one's yours. We're going to have supper because of you tonight. And it's
0: special for them.
1: Man, they love it.
0: And they're learning what we just, how we started this podcast. Yeah. That appreciation. This is something I provided, and that's what I just responded to one on YouTube last week. Somebody from California, why would you do this? Why would you shoot a deer? I'm like, why would you grow your own peppers? Right. Why would you grow your own tomatoes? Well, that's not the same. It's a hundred percent the same. We need
1: protein in our diet. Right. Right. So it's your choice where you get it. If you want to eat tofu, please. Eat the tofu. Knock yourself out. If you yeah. want to buy a pork chop, if you want to buy a beef steak, Absolutely. if you want to buy some chicken, but if you want to eat some orga- organically, venison checks off a lot of boxes.
0: Venison does, and I'm not I'm not going to – I have to defend myself. You don't. <laughs> uh, because I do, I do not knock, knock domestic because I've no. i raised my own chickens. Yeah. We butchered our own cows and pigs when I was younger. Um, I know there's a lot of friends of mine that still do that. They don't care for venison. They don't care for wild game. But it, they're actually doing it themselves, too. Right. And they're raising their own beef, and they're raising their own poultry and things like that. So it's, it's the same It's the same concept. Yeah,
1: that's why I say you, you pick your protein, and good for you. If that's what you like and your family likes, good. Actually, if I had to pick my own protein, it would be salmon.
0: <laughs> Wild-caught Alaskan <laughs> right. salmon. Yeah. But uh, that's another topic for another day. Okay, so we're going to switch gears here and talk briefly. Uh, another topic that's near and dear to both of us. But I think you're more on the cutting edge than probably anybody, it's crossbow hunting. And uh, so let's talk about, first, give me a, just a, br- I, I know, but give the, the listeners a brief introduction as to how did you get into crossbow hunting? When did it start and how, how, where are you at today?
1: You know it's interesting, it started many years ago. I was at a, a writer's event and there was a crossbow company there. And it was before the, the big change, the big pendulum swing where a lot of states and provinces changed to allow crossbows in the archery season. And the crossbow industry had come together to say, we need to work to educate people, to teach them more about this tool. And that's exactly what they did. So I shot a crossbow, I'm like, you know, this is pretty cool, this is interesting, I wanna know more about it. And it took off like a snowball going downhill. So, uh, you know, fast forward, the bows today compared to when I started oh. even 20 years <laughs> ago day. are, it's night and day. Like, it's different technology entirely.
0: H- was uh, was crossbow inclusion uh, already in place up there by you in Alberta? No.
1: Is it now? Uh, there's some special seasons, but it's not in the general archery. Oh, it's archery. not? I no. did not know that. It's it good. is in most of the provinces, like okay. British Columbia, Saskatchewan has some, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec. Lots of them do have it. But uh, it's the l- same as the states, there's some states that are hold out in terms of not wanting to have crossbows in the archery season, and uh, we'll see where that goes in so the So at home
0: for you, what's your crossbow season?
1: Uh, I have got a special season around where I live where I can uh, use hunt with a, s- uh, a crossbow. Is it
0: later in the season? Uh, no, it actually
1: opens early and runs later.
0: Oh, it does. So okay.
1: it's in an area where they want to reduce deer populations, okay. so it great opportunity, I can walk out my back door and hunt.
0: What do you think about, because um, the, the debate is still out there, um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to hold back my opinions on it. <laughs> what do you think about the, the debate that uh, crossbows should not be allowed in the general arch- archery season?
1: You know, the hunting community it does a terrible job of finding common ground, objectives, and support for each other's. Where would we be if the entire archery community started to fight about whose resource it was and who gets what part of it so that the longbow and the recurve guys get uh, two weeks and then the compound guys come in and get, get a week and the compound guys that have more than 80% let off get a week and then the crossbow guys can come in and get a week. We don't want that to happen. We're still going to harvest the same number of deer. I celebrate somebody that harvests a deer with a recurve or a longbow. I got friends that are avid compound. I've shot most stuff with a compound bow from bighorn sheep and caribou and moose and elk and deer. Crossbow to me is still hunting and it's still, you know, people say, well, you don't have to draw your bow. You don't have to do this. You have to be a good hunter. Mm -hmm. I still want to be within 20 to 30 yards. I want to remain undetected. I want to wait till the animal's in the right position and shoot. So it's not about if you can lift your bow or draw your bow. It's more about being a hunter, enjoying your outdoors, having a passion for it, respecting the animals. You know, how many archers are there in the world today, our society's got so busy, that really don't prepare properly? Don't go out, practice, fine tune their equipment, know exactly what it's doing. You know, we're sitting here at ATA and I had a a chat with a a shop owner today and said, man, if, if you're writing in these magazines, the number one thing I want to tell people is don't leave it to the last minute to get prepared he says the week before our season opens is when everyone comes in to get new arrows new strings new this new that he said they owe it to the animal to do that months ahead so whether you're a, a bow hunter a crossbow hunter or whatever i think we need to work more at supporting each other understanding that we're all hunters that we're not stealing your big bucks we're not killing all the does we all have an allocation of the resource some of us need five deer or want it to feed our family, does it matter what tool we use to, to take them? No, it doesn't. No. And it makes me sad that we actually fight about this stuff in public. We have enough enemies out there. Like, let's create some cohesiveness and start working together to protect our rights as hunters, or we're all going to be in trouble.
0: Take that four minutes and just copy and, and, and repeat it, because that's exactly <laughs> what I would say. The only thing that I'll add to that, Brad, um, and, and you guys can... and. Get ready to beat me up because I know you will. Um, what he said at the very beginning of that very eloquent response was, "We're not killing more deer, and I have the data to prove this." Yeah. Um, if we want to fight, which I agree with Brad, we shouldn't be fighting. Two thirds of the deer harvest across North America, Canada, and the United States included. Two thirds, the big hammer. Is the big hammer, is center fire rifles. Yeah. Those are the guys and gals that are managing this resource. We can think about it and we can pontificate about it, and we can put out YouTube videos on how I'm such a great land manager and, and deer manager because I'm I'm controlling the deer heart. No, you're not. On a on a macro scale, you are not. On a micro scale, you might be. Right. But on a macro level, um, <clears throat> I've used this example in the podcast, I know I repeat myself. Um, since all inclusion in my home state of Wisconsin in 2014, so all inclusion was crossbows were allowed. Before that, our average statewide harvest for archery was about 96,000 deer a year, and our overall harvest was about 380,000. So, you know, a, w- almost a, a, only a quarter a fraction was the <coughs> was the archery harvest. After all inclusion, our average harvest guess what? About 100,000 deer. Yeah. So it went up by about 4,000, that's not even, that's a, that's a drop in the bucket.
1: Yeah, you know, this is not a threat by any means, but it's something to think about is numbers, percentages of hunters, compound bow hunters have always been the majority in terms of the archery world, because that's what the season allowed. <clears throat> There's a pendulum swing in Pennsylvania last year. Eight out of 10 bow hunters took a crossbow in yeah. the field. What if the crossbow hunters got up their back and said, hey, we, we need more of the season for ourselves, and turn the pages or turned the, yeah. the tide on people? I don't ever want to see yep. that happen, but we all know that society changes. We know that hunting changes. We might be in a, major- a majority in the next de- decade, you're in a minority. Work together.
0: Get together, or get along.
1: Get along and find common ways to support each other so that we all have access to the
0: resources. We can end it right there, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. I know you're, you've got your hands in many, many different um, fires. But where can people go to find out more uh, and find more of your content other than Deer and Deer Honey? Um, and uh, what's go- going on? What's coming up in uh, this 2024 for you?
1: You know, if you Google my name is the best way, it comes up with all the different publications and recipes. Social um, media pages. Uh, yep, yeah. American Hunter, they've got a pile of, I think there's over 400 recipes now of mine on there. Uh, Delta, I'm the Waterfall Chef. I w- have a podcast in Canada called Harvest Your Own where there's written material, videos, the podcast. They can get
0: that just about at any uh, podcast. Absolutely, It's
1: yep. And uh, Harvest Your Own, that's yep. the podcast. And it's Friendship. really geared towards the first-time hunter in terms of knowing where to start. I had a fellow call me up last year and said, I listened to your podcast, I shot my first deer, I didn't have a mentor, I didn't know what to do, I got my phone out, went online, found out how to gut it, got it done, we cut it up, he says, our family loves venison; and it's our new favorite.
0: Perfect. Brad, thank you for joining us. Thanks for We're having us. We're going to me, see man. you again here soon. For Brad Fenson, I am Dan Schmidt. Thank you for joining us for another Deer Talk Now episode, brought to you every Thursday, um, wherever podcasts are dropped, or our YouTube page, which is YouTube backslash DDH online, or Facebook, or Instagram, or wherever else you are in this virtual world. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next week for another episode of Deer Talk Now. This episode is also brought to you by Mossberg. Mossberg has been supplying American hunters with quality firearms for over 100 years. Over the years, they've upheld their commitment to innovation by creating a handful of firearms that have shaped the way we hunt today. For more information, visit Mossberg.com.